I, I feel like I've lost some rhythm up here because uh, we started, well, we did start in Romans back in January, but got to Romans 12 on August the 22nd, and then through a series of other things, holiday world and personal stuff, we're, we're only to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, but the first, the first week, chapter 12, 1 and 2, we talked about the renewing of our mind being transformed, thinking about Christ, thinking about these things, and because we're easily distracted with discussions of the world today, right? Just the things that are going on, there's division and all sorts of chaos out there. But then you get to the next three to eight verses, and uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago before we actually left, but we talked about we're one body, but the great thing about this body is that it has so many gifts that have been given by the Lord to work as one. I'm not able to do some of the things that you're able to do, and you're not able to do some of the things that I'm able to do. And we work together, which is a great thing. So now we get to this part where, <laughs> uh, you know those little subtitles that the, the publishers have added? They, they've entitled this little section 9 through 21, Christian Ethics. Christian Ethics. I, <laughs> I, I don't know if I would have labeled it Christian Ethics. It's just... Uh, the nature of being a follower of Jesus and having the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, that's probably what I would label it as. But he, he, here's, here's what I'm thinking this morning is that if you, again, I say this quite frequently, if you walk away from here going, oh, that was a decent message, good message, oh, that message was terrible, whatever, you've totally missed the point. What I would love is for you to have conversations around your lunch table, maybe your dinner table later in the week, is for you to, as we talk about some of these things, because Paul just kind of does a shotgun approach here, so there might be something that uh, causes you to think about it and process it, and hopefully the words that come out of my mouth this morning will do that as well. But let's get into it. We're on verse 9 of chapter 12 of Romans. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, try, to, try to say this, but uh, I grew up with people that believed Christians were hypocrites. And they are. Christians are hypocrites based upon the things that we, what? Do. But the truth of the matter is, if... Everything that we teach in this room right here is based upon our identity in Jesus Christ, that you're holy, forgiven, redeemed, child of God, that you're perfect. It's not based upon what you do, but based upon who you are. You in this room can understand that. The world cannot understand that. So they judge the church the believers in Jesus Christ, based upon what we do. And sometimes you and me, we act out of our flesh, which is 
selfish in itself. It's in our own strength, and it is not walking with the Spirit as Luke was talking about. It's sin when we walk by the flesh. And so, therefore, if you're judging me based upon what I do, and sometimes I choose to walk by my selfish flesh and I sin, then, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, because I'm being selfish. But fortunately, I guess the blessing is in this room, we hopefully are not looking at each other for what we do. It's based upon who we are. I see you as holy and redeemed and righteous. Yeah, I kind of care about what you do, but that's not what I see you for. I see you for who you are in Christ, which is the beautiful thing. But when Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy, he's really talking about the many dimensions of love as it relates to his fellow believers dealing with each other and even non-believers. How, how do you love a fallen world when they don't understand what real love is? It talks about, he talks about when he says, let love be without hypocrisy, it's relating well both to God and to other people. We kind of refer to it as being others-oriented. If I'm to truly, truly, <coughs> truly love... <coughs> and it, it's all falling apart. <laughs> I'll get there. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Uh, if I'm to truly love, if I'm to truly love, it's not about myself. <clears throat> it's, li- it's literally about how do I love others and love God? That, that's what it comes down to. I'm oriented toward God and to others as, as the very mode of my decision making, I I, lit, I literally, if I'm walking by the Spirit, I'm not doing it out of my own self. I'm doing it because the Holy Spirit's working in me, and therefore I'm not focused on myself. I'm focused on others, and I'm focused on God. Douglas Moose said, love is not genuine when it leads a person to do something evil or to avoid doing what is right as defined by God and His Word. Here, here's the real issue. I, I'm sorry I'm breaking this down, this one little passage down, but, but here's the real issue in the room. is How do you measure someone's heart? You guys, if... If we could figure this out right here, how, how do you measure someone's heart? How do, you, how do you judge one's heart? It would change the way we respond to people. Like, what makes one a hypocrite? I say one thing, but I do another. Christians... That's a, a term that we uh, throw around pretty liberally now. Uh, but let's say, let's say followers of Jesus 
have been called hypocrites from day one. A follower of Jesus has this assumption that they're going to do exactly what Jesus does. That may be the desire of the believer, but it doesn't always occur because we're still wrestling with this flesh. So the real judgment comes on what's the person's heart? What's their intention? It changes the way that we see people. The the next thing that he says, and I'll pick up speed here in just a second, he says, detest evil. Detest evil. Oh man, there's, there's a lot going on in our community right now. To detest evil, I, I detest evil. The question is, do I do it privately or do I do it publicly? What's my response? Is it private or public? My answer is, as the Spirit leads you, that's what you need to do. I think at one point it was easy to point out specific things like sin uh, that I detested, and I could be very vocal about it years ago. But as I get older, as I get older in my faith and realize that it's not me that changes the opinions and the behavior or people's minds, it's the Holy Spirit, I have a tendency to shut my mouth more. Just to... Here's what's going to happen is I'm going to come up here and I'm going to teach the truth. I'm going to teach the truth from the stage, which is God's word. And I'm actually going to teach truth in my conversations, which again is God's words. But my daily conversations, I'm going to continue to speak truth. And then I'm going to allow the spirit to work not only in me, but in you and the people that the believers that have the spirit to work on them and I don't have to I don't have to like judge them based upon what they're doing. I'm going to trust that the spirit will do that. Now, that's not to say that hey, I won't bring it up or I won't talk about it. If the spirit leads me to do that, I have no problem doing that. But I know this, it's not my responsibility, it's not my duty to change people's minds opinions, and to even change evil in this world. It's not my job. Just teach the truth, love without being hypocritical. Then he says this, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. That's the whole Philly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I say this, did you ever fight with your siblings? Anybody ever fight with your siblings? We got we got the whole Speckman crew in here. I should just go around and ask them, but did they do you ever fight with uh your siblings? Yeah, I've fought with my siblings. Of course you did. But it never changed the fact that I'm still related to them. Some of you in here don't even talk to your siblings. I get that. And that may be because you've had to establish 
healthy boundaries. I, I get it. I get it. You may have had to set those boundaries, but they're still your family. As you go through these trials, loss, you probably find out that you cling deeper to your family. Like uh, uh, Speckman's, uh, Dale just lost his father this last week. Carolyn Frank's wife is here today with us, which is an absolute joy for me. But their families here, grandchildren. Through this loss, they're clinging to one another. They're dependent upon one another. When he literally says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, that's, that's what he's saying in this room right here. That when we grieve and we go through loss, we cling to one another. Yeah, uh, I get it. I get it. Uh, I'm weird. You're weird. We do gooberish things. I think that's part of when he says, love another deeply as brothers and sisters. Uh, you guys know I was talking about my brother. I had some an awkward relationship with my brother, but I deeply love my brother. You all are goobers. I'm a goober. As long as we're okay with each other's gooberishness, we can love each other deeply. That's what he's literally saying right here. And then he says, take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be excited. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. <laughs> you, I promise you, you are not going to find a spiritual gift analysis on our website and a list of jobs to do in here at Levner. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. There's plenty of opportunity to serve and to do ministry within this group right here. And listen to this. I'm okay if the Spirit leads you outside of this group to do ministry. Go for it. If the Spirit's leading you to do it, go do it. You are the light of the world. It doesn't just stay contained in this room right here, in this group right here. Go. Just go and hang out with people and be the light. Show them this zeal that you have. Show them that you want to serve them out of love. Verse 12, it says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. On this day, 16 years ago, there's people in this room that lost a child friend named B.J. Higgins. 16 years ago. He was 15 years old. He was an incredible young man. And on this same day, three years ago, the body lost a good man named Todd Dolbeer. He was a vital part of this ministry. Abigail, we have not forgotten your dad. 
And so we've suffered over the years with their loss here on earth, but we rejoice to know that they're forever home with Jesus. As much as I grieve still to this day the loss of my friends, um, I'm excited for where they are, and I wouldn't want them to be back here. So what do we do? We persistently pray for the families. We pray, we love on them, try to meet their needs, and hope that the grief subsides. I know that the Higgins family shared hope with the Absher family. And that's what we're able to do is when we go through these grieving times, we're able to help others go through these moments as well. And this is exactly what Paul's saying. He's like, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Verse 13, he says, Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Uh, Pursue hospitality. This literally means to feed one another and to have people come to your home. Uh, But here's what Paul meant when he meant by being hospitable. He meant be hospitable to strangers. Like there's people that are going to come into your city. He's talking about Rome, and he's like, they're going to be strangers, and they're going to be outcasts. And bring strangers into your home and feed them and take care of their needs and get to know them. In today's society, especially with COVID, uh, stranger danger. We have all this. We don't talk to people. We literally don't talk to people. We can sit by them on the plane. We can sit by them uh, at a restaurant. We and we just have no conversation. Do you ever? Does it bother you when people talk to you? And you, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I think it's kind of cool when a stranger will actually talk to me. And I try to talk to strangers. And I'm okay with awkward. I, I I try to talk to strangers and. In this society, it's, it's hard because we've scared everybody of everybody else. That's literally what we've done. And Paul's saying, be hospitable because there's people, there's people that need to be loved. There's people that need to hear what you have. But we've literally trained ourselves uh, to not even talk to strangers. Verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh, this, this is this is interesting right here. Uh, you've probably heard this before. Bless those who persecute you, and and bless do not curse. This is literally Paul quoting Jesus, which he hardly ever does. The Pauline epistles, the letters that he writes, Paul rarely quotes Jesus. But here, he's literally taken out of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this one phrase, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. 
I'll talk about that here in a little bit more, but to go back to the thought that why doesn't Paul quote Jesus more? Well, you, you have to go back to our Gospels and know that Jesus was a Jew. For those of you who didn't know, Jesus was a Jew. He came in and he taught the law and he perfectly fulfilled the law. But he taught the law. And he taught it so that you would realize you cannot do the law. You cannot do it in your own strength. So then he died, he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, he went and sat next to the right hand of the Father. They sent a spirit to live inside of you, and that spirit helps you, helps you live your life. Not according to the law, but according to the spirit. So when Paul is teaching, it's after the cross, it's after Jesus has died and done all this, and he's literally saying, there's now a spirit inside of you. It's different what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. There's a spirit living inside of you, and he wants to do this life for you. Let him do it for you. Big difference. So why didn't Paul quote, quote Jesus? Jesus taught the law. Paul didn't teach the law. He taught that, that there's a spirit inside of you. Interesting. Verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Okay, I get stuck on this word right here. Uh, and this is where the word smithing comes in. Uh, and this is something maybe you can even discuss around your table, but I have a problem with the word proud and prideful. We were, we've been talking about it all morning, Jeannie and I and Rick and some others, and it's like how society views the word proud. I mean, it says, do not be proud. Yesterday was National Daughters Day, and you feel uh, obligated to like post something on Facebook. Uh, if you don't, you're a schmuck. You know, it's like one of those things. And so uh, now the dads are like going, "Wait, what? It was National Daughters Day? <clears throat> Schmucks." <laughs> uh, and so. I, I'll post something about Chloe. It may, I'm sure, I know several of you saw it. But I have a tendency to not tell my kids that I'm proud of them. That makes me a schmuck. Uh, because, I, one, I look at it and it says, do not be proud. I don't see God as being proud. We've had a discussion, you know, about he made us uh, perfect creations and everything and that he's happy with us and everything else, but... Throughout Scripture, the word proud is used in a negative context. It says, don't be proud, be humble. Don't be proud, be humble. And so I have a tendency when I talk to my kids, I don't say that I'm proud of them, but it causes me to say, okay, if I can't say that I'm proud of you, what can I say about them to affirm them and to encourage them? It's, it's, hard, it's, it's harder for me to not say I'm proud and to define how I really feel about them. And then I was, I was talking to Jeannie. It's like, uh, say, say, say your, your kid returns a football for a 100-yard 100 100 yard return and scores. 
or your kid uh, makes dinner for a family that is going through suffering and they, they take them to him. Is it better for you to be proud of what they've done or humbled by what they've done? Think about that for a second. Is it better for you to be proud of them? Now, our society uses the word being proud as like, I'm just elated about their achievements. I'm, a, I'm excited about their achievements. I'm, I'm kind of, in a negative sense, it can be puffed up about it. What you choose to do and how you choose to wordsmith that word proud, that, that, that's up to you. That's up to you. But as for, as for me, I, th- I think I've just tried to avoid it because of what the scripture says. Plus, it makes me work a little harder. Helps me define my kids. What am I really stoked about about them? Do not be proud, he says. Try, just try it. Some, try not to use the word proud. Just try it. When you use it, go, oh, let me say it differently. Rick came in, Jeannie trapped him and said, are you proud of your kids? He goes, yeah, I'm proud of my kids. And then all of a sudden he went, actually, I'm grateful for my kids. Without any prompting, he, he literally changed what he thought. Try it. Instead, do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is simply revenge. Some people ask the question, well, if you don't do revenge and you just let people do evil to you, don't you just become a doormat? Don't you just become a doormat? Are we not to stand up for ourselves? I believe there's a difference between revenge and having healthy boundaries. I think boundaries are good. Some boundaries are bad, but healthy boundaries are good. You have to be able to protect yourself and your family at times. Healthy, if you need help with healthy boundaries, there are people with wisdom that can help you with that. But is it important to you that you don't come across as soft or as a pushover? Is that important to you? Is that the whole pride thing versus humble thing? What does it look like when the Spirit causes your emotions not to get ramped up during a disagreement. Luke, you were up here talking about being man and getting, you know, just... You, you've had conversations where you're like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to let my emotions be a part of this. You realize that uh, I could manipulate you by the raising and lowering of my voice in this room. I could get easily excited and reel off a bunch of emotional thoughts and opinions in this room. Or I can just speak to you on the same level and I can say the exact same thing 
and you're going to be able to process without getting emotional about it. So think about this. When you get all ramped up with your emotions and you're wanting to make your point, I believe that you can make your point without getting ramped up. I think that you can say the same thing and they may be able to hear it even more without the emotion. Try it. See what happens. Can you think more rationally and with love, what Paul's talking about here, when you're not letting your emotions control your physical body? Just breathe. Just calm down. You can say the same things without emotion. <laughs> We're living in a world where protests are becoming so emotionally charged that people are actually dying. There's evil in this world, and it is going to continue to happen, I promise you. Evil will continue to be unpacked. It, let me say this. The evil that you're experiencing today in this community is not any different than they experienced thousands of years ago. He plays the same game that he played back then. He's playing it today. And there's only one answer to that evil. And I think in this room you know what that is. It's Jesus. That's it. That's it. And so Paul's literally saying, these are the things that we need to focus on, focus on love, and this is what it looks like. He says, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. In other words, wait, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Can you try to see the other side? I'm not asking that you agree with the other side. I'm just trying to say, can you see the other side? Can you have a discussion without being mean? And then verse 18, he says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. You'll see in your Bibles that that is bolded. In other words, Paul is quoting from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22. If someone does evil to you, then do good to them and it will be dumping like fiery coals onto their head. Some theologians believe that this is what God is referring to as a judgment that's going to come. But if you know, and most theologians will agree, that as Proverbs was written by Solomon, he obviously knew, had this Egyptian culture to him as well. And in Egypt, we know from archaeological evidence 
that there was this custom, according to Egyptians, when they wanted to express sorrow for something they had done, they would carry a full tray of burning coals on their heads. This is what actually happened. So when Paul's referring to this Proverbs, I suspect that he understands the context and the meaning that Solomon wrote when he wrote this in Proverbs. And he's saying to this, if you are truly sorrowful, if you, if you understand this, and then uh, it's this way. If someone does evil to you, and in return you do good to them, what's the effect? It depends on the person, right? It depends on the person. But a lot of times, when things are done out of love, I've I've seen I've I, I've even seen it happen in this group when things are done out of love. There's remorse and regret for things that have occurred. They feel bad about what they said or what they did or. And this is what love does. And then the last verse, he says this. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. (laughs) How does that work in this world? Like, literally, Paul has talked about individuals But all of a sudden, when we talk about evil, conquer evil with good, where do you immediately go? You go to the whole world. We just expanded from talking about the individual to like, how do you defeat evil in the world? You defeat it with goodness. It's really not up to me to determine how this works in this world. But I know this, next week we get into chapter 13 and he literally goes from the individual to the government leaders. I'm really excited about that. (laughs) So, you realize chapter 12 was this. It's about you renewing your mind and staying focused on the things above. And we as a body are gifted, and we work together. And inside of that body, there's going to be issues, there's going to be loss, there's going to be grief. But we do things out of love for one another. We encourage one another, and we work together. That's why we are the light of the world. How do you overcome evil? You overcome evil with Jesus. Lord, I pray today that uh, conversations happen this week. Conversations from your word, not from my message, but from your word happen around the tables and they talk about what this looks like. Talk about uh, having spontaneous conversations with strangers. 
having conversations without emotions. How to love without using the word proud or pride. Lord, that you would just stir the hearts of your people right here to talk, to process. What does this look like for us? What does the Spirit living in us look like that we can love one another and diminish the effects of evil that are in this world? Lord, I trust you with those conversations. I pray for uh, the Speckman family today, that you would just comfort them in their loss. Uh, Give Carolyn peace this morning. For the kids, Wayne, Dale, that you would just... uh, Allow them to be family this week. And uh, Lord, just thanks for today that we can be here and to love one another. And I trust you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.